0: Lord Jesus, this is your word. It is a declaration of you, your mission of redemption, and the goal of the eternal triune God to bring a people to consummation and glory. Lord, this is a wondrous word. It is a word that feeds our souls. It is a, wor- a word that informs our minds. It is a word that instructs our wills. Would you please, even this day, Lord, use your servant by the power of your spirit to proclaim this word to your people that they might hear and believe. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you would turn in your text to Ephesians chapter 4, verses 20 through 24. I'll go ahead and let you know that we're going to talk about this this week, and we're going to come back to these verses again next week. There's a lot. To take in in these verses, and I want us to not just run past this. I think it's incredibly important for us to understand and see what Paul is saying to us. The way to look at going through the the Bible and and, uh, considering the text is is that, you know, if we don't get through with Ephesians before the Lord returns, we'll just get to see the realities of Ephesians, and I think that's all the better. So we'll just continue to press forward in it. Let's give attention to God's Word. created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Amen. Please be seated. There's a couple of things I want us to consider as we look at this passage this morning. The first is this. There are three great union mysteries in the Bible. You might not think about that right off the top of your head, but if you took a few minutes to think about it, you'd realize that two of them are are complete tenets of the faith. If you reject them, you're not really a true believer. The first one is the Trinity. This is a mystical union which we, for the most part, have to just say, I believe it. I have no idea how to really, fully, truly explain it. Three persons in the one true God. Now, One theologian has said, if you deny the Trinity, you lose your soul. If you try to understand the Trinity, you lose your mind. (laughs) And so we need to understand that that the Trinity is a mystery. And it's good for us as Presbyterians to realize that the Bible has mystery, because oftentimes we like to take all the mystery out of it. But the reality is, is that there is mystery in Scripture. And we have to let it stand for what it is. The second union mystery is how the divine Son of God could come and join Himself to a human being and as the confession tells us, take to Himself a body and a reasonable soul, just like we have, and those two be one and yet distinct and separate. So much so... That on the cross, the man Jesus dies, but God who cannot die doesn't. And yet, we can say Christ died. We can't fully explain this. None of us are ever going to come to a place where we go satisfactorily. I fully and completely can plumb the depths of this because there's an aspect of it which is mystery to us. One of the things that always astounds me is how arrogant human beings are capable of being. We really get mad when we don't understand things. As if somehow we're supposed to be able to understand everything. We're finite. We will never, no matter how big our brains get, ever be able to begin to even remotely tap into the infinite greatness of God and His ways. The third union then, which is one that we may not necessarily hold up as a tenet of the faith, but I would contend is very much a tenet of our faith, is this. That we, as believers, are united to Christ and to one another. And that cannot be separated. Paul is trying over and over and over again in a multitude of ways, and he will continue in this letter to the Ephesians to remind them and us that just as surely as the triune God is in union, just as surely as Christ the Man and the Divine Son are in union, that we are in union with Christ and with one another. And if we are, then it is inseparable. Now, I want you to think about that for a minute. Inseparable. You cannot get away from it. If you are in Christ, as Paul says over and over and over again in his letters, then you are in Christ. You can't get away. Now, I'm continuing to come back and say things like this because I'm not afraid that some of you may walk out and say, well, if I'm in Christ, let's go do what we want to do. I can't get away. Let's go out here and be whatever we want to be. There may be some of you foolish enough to take that idea and run with it, even for a while. But I will contend with those of you who get a little nervous when those type statements get made and you always want that but to get put on the end, which we talked about a couple of weeks ago. We don't put a but on the end. Here's the reality. If you are in Christ, you cannot continue to live the life of a prodigal. Do you hear what I said? If you are truly in Christ, you cannot continue to live the life of a prodigal. Because God, when He loves a child scourges that child and brings them into conformity to His will. And He doesn't wait on them. He does it. The problem for us is is that we're too quick with the rod. And we don't trust God with the rod. We want to bring the rod. And this is where we need to understand that you know what it's like. I tell my parents all the, I tell my children all the time. Olivia could tell you if you asked her. My children love to correct one another, and the first thing they know as soon as they hear father walking down the hall, they're going to hear is this: "You're not the parent. You're a sibling. You can encourage. You can remind. You can build up." But you're not the parent. You don't get to hold them down and keep them from doing naughty things. You don't get to go get the rod for me. <laughs> you see? That's my job. And one of the things we have a hard time understanding when we deal with one another is is that it's God's job to discipline In individual people's lives on a regular basis and here's the other thing god has actually set up an institution the church called elders who actually are able to do discipline when it's necessary for him another thing we'd forget is is that what i'm doing right now is actually disciplining you you realize you're sitting here quietly listening to me talk and somehow God says that's a good thing, that a preacher should preach to God's people and tell them and instruct them in His Word. It's a part of discipline. And all discipline is just corporeal punishment. In fact, I would say that if that's the main form of your punishment or the main form of your discipline, you probably got pretty frustrated kids. Because they need to be hearing the positive, exhorting encouragement of who you are for them And that enables them to hear what God is for them in Christ. Paul then, in this passage, what we're just looking at, is speaking to us that we have been born again. That we have been renewed. That we have been brought into a union with Christ. And we're going to start to talk about now what that kind of looks like. This is not really an easy thing for us to understand. Imagine what it would feel like. Let's just think about this. You were once an impoverished, poor, have nothing in your hands at all, and all of a sudden you're taken out of dire poverty and not just moved into a wealthy mansion up on the hill. No, you're moved to a completely new country where there are new customs, where there is new clothing. Or maybe there actually is for the first time clothing. I mean, just think about what that would be like. How radically altering that would be. And how would your life begin to function as you began to take on this new role of a whole different way of existing and being? That's exactly what Paul, in many ways, is talking about here. Putting off the old man and putting on the new is the idea of being taken from one way of living and existing and understanding and being brought into a completely new set of paradigm that you have no clue, really, how it works. And most of the time when Christians get into trouble it's because they keep trying to borrow from the old life and somehow think, okay... I know how it sort of works, and so they keep trying to cram that into this new life. The problem is is that the old life doesn't work at all in the new life. That's not to say there's not common goodness out there. That's not to say there's not common understanding about 2 plus 2 equals 4 and those kinds. That's not what I'm really talking about. I'm more saying that we tend to try and say, okay, I comprehend how life works... And so now I've got an understanding of what Scripture is saying. And oftentimes, Scripture, like the game of golf, is counterintuitive. See, if you get up there with your nice big... Stu could tell you about this. He's seen me do it one too many times. You get up there with that big driver. i got a head about that big because I want to make sure I don't miss the ball. And you go back and you swing as hard as you can. ball goes, maybe kills a rattlesnake. But if you learn to take that back nice and easy slow back and you swing all the way through, somehow that ball gets lofted and goes hundreds of feet down the course, sometimes straight. The point I'm trying to get across to you is, is that golf in many ways is counterintuitive. you think that a big old guy like me could get up there and do my thing and just knock the crud of that little bitty ball and I'd send it sailing. To my dismay, these little guys I play with get up there and with their nice fluid swings just knock that ball into outer oblivion and my little ball dribbles up some hundred yards short of where they are. It's counterintuitive. Why? Because our tendency is to want to get up there and hit things hard. That's how you make it go far. In the same way, there's a sense in which Christianity is counterintuitive to the way the world wants to do things. Think about this. If you don't blow your own horn, who's going to blow it? I was watching a movie the other night tell you which one it was, but I was watching it and it was interesting as the characters were were going through their, their routine. The dad walks into his boss's office and says, You know, you you passed me over for my promotion, which you know I've been here longer than this other guy. You gave it to him, and he said, Yeah, but don't you understand? He sticks around after six. He didn't go home to his family. If you want the promotion You've got to show me that you want the promotion. He goes, so, you know, hey, you've got a month to to show me something. And the guy basically says, well, you know, it's really not a good time. My son's really having a bad way, and I really need to be getting home and spending some more time with my son, he says. And the the boss's basic impression is, well, apparently you really don't want the promotion. And you see what's being said uh, that's of value? A human being. It's of infinite worth, made in the image of God. And some widgets that need to get made, which is more important. And see, the old man keeps saying the created thing is more important than what God has declared good and right and true. It's more important. It's of more value. And we have to really realize that we shouldn't be surprised when we find ourselves struggling and in difficulty with the world because the fact is is that we have come to a place where we have put off something that the world has not. And we have put on something that the world does not have. And in some ways, it always will make us feel that we are in a struggle. The other thing that's a struggle for us, and this is the last thing I'll say, and then we'll get into the meat of this text, is is that inside us, we're still trying to figure out how we live as the new man. How do I live as the new man? Because, again, I was the old man. And the old man, in many ways, comes easier because everybody around me is like the old man. My own tendencies are to feel more at ease with the old man. And so we find in ourselves this internal struggle of wrestling with being and living as what we have become. Well, let's look at this text then. We're going to look specifically at 22 through 24. I wanted to read 20 and 21 so that we see the context flowing into this. We learned Christ and then we see the explanation of how we've heard of him. We were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus So Paul now says, and this is the idea of what you've been taught, to put off your old self. Now, the way our English text writes it would make you think that what you need to do is, if you would be a Christian, is to put off, you need to do this. You need to put off your old self. But really, this is more of a description of what is necessary for you to become a Christian. And I'm not going to bore you, but I'll just say this for those of you that are Greek-minded. This is an aorist infinitive. And the interesting thing about the aorist tense is this, and this is the only thing I will tell you about it because it's important to this passage, is the aorist declares something that has been done. It's definitively done. It's not telling you when it's been done. It's not trying to. It's just saying done. So when Paul says here in that tense to put off, what he's saying is, is that in order to be a... Christian, to order to be a true believer, what has to happen to that person is, is the old man has to be put off. But the idea in all three of these verbal statements of put off, put on, and renew always has this sense of somebody else doing it, not you. So in other words, what's taking place here, Paul says, is, is that what we understand is, is that we have to have been stripped of our old garments that it has to have been put off of us the old man it must be put off if it's not been put off then you have no part in christ it must be put off the old man in this passage is reflective of this our union with adam that's what paul is getting at here you must put off Your union with Adam if you would be united to Christ. Now think about this in the grand scheme of things. Adam in the garden. All of humanity is basically locked in his loins. Adam sins. All of humanity falls with him. We have a union with Adam. Every human being born on this planet is in union with Adam and his failure. And what Paul is saying is, is that if you would be redeemed, if you would enter into the new life, that old man must be severed from you. That old life must be removed from you. And in fact, what Paul is saying is that that is the truth of the gospel. That when you believe, the old man is stripped 1 Corinthians 15.22 gives us some clue into this when it says, For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Now notice what's saying there. All this stuff is happening apart from you as an individual person. You weren't in the garden. In fact, isn't that often people's excuse as to why God's just a big bad meanie and holds us accountable for something that that thug in the garden Adam did? And in fact, if we really want to be specific, it was his uppity wife Eve. (laughs) But then we get back to him because if he'd just keep his uppity wife in check, then she wouldn't have been out there being uppity. And it never ends. But somehow that's not us. But see, if you don't believe that, then you have no part in Christ. See, Christ is called the second Adam. Why? Because he comes to do what Adam failed. And that is to actually bring His people back to a place where they are image bearers so they might enter into the glory that God held out for Adam. We were talking about this in Sunday school for those of you that were there and maybe this enticed entice some more of you to come. But the reality is, is that Adam did not have everything he needed. Adam was there in a covenant of works and when he failed to fulfill it, He did not enter into consummation, glory. And therefore, all of us failed to enter into it as well. We all were plunged into an estate of sin and misery. And there we live. But Christ as the second Adam came and fulfilled that which Adam could not. And therefore, He brings to us the reality of being brought into the new man being made new in Christ. When we place our trust in Christ, in a very real sense, we are handing Christ the old raggedy, dying, decaying, perverted, polluted, deceived selves we are. And we are taking to ourselves Christ. I want you to think about that. When the text says here, it says to put off the old self or the old man which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desire. See what's being told there? The idea of what Adam has is, is this. Adam was deceived. Eve was deceived. They plunged into a state of sin and misery. And therefore all they're left with is a deception. That somehow we can live in this life and it can be good apart from God. That's what their deception was. And do you realize, men and women, that all of us, before we are Christians, live under that deceit? It really is a deceit. That if I can just get one more dollar in my checking account, life will be good. If I can just get one more trophy on my wall, life will be good. If I can just get one more credential, life will be good. If I can just marry that one more most beautiful, incredible human being, if I could just have my friendship with this particular individual, if my portfolio could just get to this particular place, if I could finally drive a new vehicle. Maybe I'll make it a little more real for some of us in this room. If we could just have that brand new vehicle, if I could somehow be on the Mercedes commercial, and be the kind of guy dressed in that great suit that stands there and goes, it's just an incredible way of life. You see, we are deceived, and that deceit just continues to tug us down. And human beings all around us live under this illusion that somehow if I could just get a little more of the created stuff, I could feel a little more like the Creator. But that's not our place. And it's a lie because if you want to be more like the Creator, you need to get hold of Him. Or maybe better, He needs to get hold of you. And put off the old man with its old manner of life and its deceitful desires. That's what He's calling us to. Paul says that's the truth. You've put that off. If you're wearing beautiful robes, why do you keep trying to put the rags back on? Paul says it another way. If you've been set free from the shackles of sin, why do you keep snapping then back on. You've been set free. Be free. You've been given new clothes. Quit trying to put on the old rags. The idea that Paul says is, you put off the old. The old union has been broken, but its reality, this is the part that just kills us, but its reality is not completely removed it must still, Paul says, be resisted and mortified. Mortified's a great word which simply means to put to death, to crucify. We have to be vigilant because sin, that old man, loves to once again drag us back in. Well, you know, I mean, you've had a bad day. You've had a long day. I mean, you know, remember when you used to go down there and have that tenth beer before you went home? You know, remember when you used to look at, at this stuff on the computer? Remember when you used to sit there and play that last computer game? You see, I'm trying to give you different things, because in and of themselves, none of these things are wrong unto themselves. But we find ourselves being comforted in these things, and we use them to comfort us. Some of us, even tragically, will read theology books in a wrong way. We use even doctrine as a comfort to us instead of going to the one that doctrine points to, God Himself, Christ Himself. We can find comfort in all our stuff and we'll even take the stuff of God and pervert it for our own sinful uses rather than finding our real source in Christ and Him alone. The second thing that Paul tells us here is that in verse twenty-three, to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Now, this is a present passive, and this is interesting because see, it's passive, so that tells us that it's not something we can do to ourselves because it's a passive. It says something that's being acted on us, but it's present, which means it's continual. What may be helpful for us is to is to think about what Paul says in Titus three five about the ongoing work of the Spirit. He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. This is what our Shorter Catechism says. What is sanctification? Sanctification is a work, and that's distinct from adoption and justification, which are acts. This is a work of God's free grace, whereby we are renewed in the whole man after the image of God. Think about that. That's exactly what Paul's saying. You've been renewed. You've put off the old man and you've been put into the new. You've been renewed in the whole person, and here's the, here's the battle, here's the struggle. And are enabled more and more to die into sin and to live under righteousness. But notice what it says more and more. Which means that it's something that's ongoing and it never stops in this life. And for some of you old seasoned Christians, you know this to be true. Tell me if you don't. That putting off the the young stupid collegiate things you might have done or putting off the, the, the silly things of life when you were younger, those sins seem mighty trivial in comparison to the inner deceit, the pride, the selfishness with which we know inhabits and lurks In our inner souls. It it disturbs us. And nobody else may even see it. But we do. And sometimes. It's lurking can almost be overwhelming. But our hope is. That sanctification is a work of God's spirit. Which enables us more and more. To die to sin. And to live. To righteousness. And that's actually what Paul is getting at here. The renewing of our minds. By the spirit. The spirit of our minds is being renewed by the spirit of God. More and more. So that we realize. You've put off that old self. And you've put on this new self. Don't go back to the old. Walk in light of the new. Renewed. In your mind. Continually. Now, what that tells us, men and women, and what's instructive here is this. That this is not just a one-time thing. You don't just go, okay, we heard about Jesus. And we heard about what He did for us. And we heard about we're no longer the old person. And now we're the new person. And now you need to get on with it. Now, what Paul's saying is, what you need to keep being renewed in is that you were the old person. You've been made the new person. And it's all because of what Christ has done. And that you need to hear that all the time. All the time. That is not some passe, interesting thing that we hang up on the wall as one of our doctrines. It is the very heart and soul of our existence. We have nothing if we don't have Christ. And we are too easily persuaded that quiet times... And reading the right books and doing the right things is sufficient to hold us in place. And while all those things are important and necessary aspects of God's people, it is not what holds us in place. It is our focus. It is our remembering. It is our lovingly caring and reminding ourselves and one another about all the greatness of Christ and what He has done for us. And what He is doing for us. As I said before, this is a lifelong process. With our realization of all that Christ has done for us. And setting us free from the old manner of living. And all the benefits we have received as a result of Christ's work. I want to say this, this change must take place in the inner person. And sometimes we're looking for outward conformity and we're not realizing that this really has to be something that changes on the inside. We're working from the inside out. So some of you need to keep being reminded, please be patient. God is not finished with that person yet. So you you get too much on the giddy. Why do they keep? I don't know. Why is it when you tell your children for the one trillionth time, don't eat the cookies until we've eaten dinner. And yet there they are. I forgot. How could you forget that? How is that something you forget? I don't know. It just I had a sugar rush and I forgot. I mean, you know, it's just the, the point is is that we do forget. We do forget, and we need to keep being reminded that this is an inward work. But let me just say this also. If you're one of these people that says, you know, hey, you know, I'll get around to living more righteously. Just give me some time. I want to say there is no time like the present. If you are a new person in Christ, you are to love the things of God, not the things of this world and to be the kind of person that says oh you know give me a break i just want to kind of i'm just you know i'm kind of easing myself into this christian thing you have not really understood how radical your enemy hates you you don't ease into anything the longer you ease the more you're slip sliding away we must be vigilant people who say that god's will be done and mean it And that often requires us to be vigilant about putting away things that we like. They're our little pet sins. I mean, they're they're not hurting anybody, really. They're just, you know, they're nice. They're kind of cuddly and furry. In reality, there's this huge dragon that's just waiting for you to turn around so they can eat your head off. We are not to be people who play around with sin. Sin is the enemy and it's been put off. The last thing then Paul talks about here is to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. This new man is a new creation created by God Himself. The first new man was Christ Jesus Himself who by His resurrection inaugurated a new age which we are called into. God Himself, look at the text, it says created after the likeness of God Himself is the pattern or the model of this new creation. Thus, the terms of righteousness and holiness are used. The idea of righteousness and holiness in the Bible, especially when they're used together, is this idea righteousness usually has something to do with our living before men. So you could think about this, if you were thinking about it in the Ten Commandments, you could say that from Commandment 5 on, you've got honor your father and mother, don't steal, don't murder... Don't lie, don't covet, don't commit adultery. All those are the idea of being righteous. You don't want to do things which are offensive and hurtful to other people. So you pursue righteousness because that's what God does. God is always righteous towards human beings. But holiness is something that is truly directed towards God. And so you could think about the first four commandments in that light. Of uh, These are the ideas, the character of God in holiness. There is no God but the one true God. Don't make images of Him. Don't bow down and worship created things and say, Behold, this is your God. Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. These are the things we need to remember and do. These are the things we need to think about. But that's the idea here. It's character. It's the character of God being displayed in righteousness and holiness, my attitude towards God, my attitude towards others. What are, the two, what are the all the commandments hang on? Jesus tells us: love God with everything you got, and love your neighbor as yourself. On these two things hangs the whole law. So, righteousness and holiness. Love God with everything you got, holiness. Love your neighbor as yourself, righteousness. The new man reality in which we now participate is not only about us having lived in an old sinful life and now we live in a new life. It means that we have been recreated in Christ, the new Adam. It really means that you've been severed from your old existence. Whereas one time you were in union with Adam, you now have been brought into union with Christ. And therefore, everything that you had in Adam, you gave to Christ and He gave you everything He has. Think about that. You have given to Christ all that Adam gave you deceit, decay, deformity, destruction, distortion. All that was laid upon Christ at the cross. And what Christ has given to you is his goodness, his righteousness, his truth, his holiness. Do you see what Paul is saying? You've put off that old and you've put on the new. This is what you've been given. I would call that a tremendous exchange on your investment. You gave him crud and he gave you the riches of heaven. That's a good return on investment. This means that the deformed and depraved image which we inherited from Adam is restored in Christ. And here's the key. And the destiny of the consummation of glory is now ours. See, this is not as good as it gets. Christ is coming. Christ is coming. And when He comes, we shall not remain as we are. We shall be caught up. We shall be transformed completely in the twinkling of an eye. And we shall return to a restored and advanced earth. That's our destiny. That's our hope. And because of Christ, that's a true reality. Apart from Him, all we have is destruction and torment. Because that's all we have. The wages of sin is death. So if we live earning the wages of sin, all we can expect is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Final thing I want us to look at here is the truth in this context in which God's righteousness and holiness were revealed. Christ is the truth, we've already been told, incarnate. John tells us this is the truth. He, when he showed up, he manifested truth. That's why at the end of this it says, at the end of this passage, it says, after the likeness of God in righteousness and holiness in truth is actually how it reads in the Greek. And the idea there is this it is truth that sanctifies us. Paul in one thirteen has already told the Ephesians that it is the word of truth, the gospel of their salvation, in which they have believed. There is a sense in which the creation has in view that the one who has become part of the new creation should in fact live in light of who they have become and are becoming. In conclusion then, what I want to say to you is this. Paul is going to tell us later on in chapter 5 of Ephesians when he talks about a man and a woman being united together, he's going to say, you know, really, this is not about a man and a woman. It's really pointing to Christ and His church. And then he makes this statement. This mystery is Great. This mystery is great, but it's nonetheless true. And we're called as God's people to remember that when we were born again, when we became part of the family of God, we put off the old man and we put on the new. May God give us the courage and the strength to live like the new man and not like the old. Amen.